Heavenly Father, we're glad, grateful, thankful that you brought us together to hear your word, to worship, and to be blessed as our little children witnessed back to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you uh, won't have to put up with me past today. Grant starts back next week. Uh, he went off uh, last uh, weekend to be with the kids in Florida. And uh, so our uh, mission trip this is this week out in uh, New Mexico where we work with the uh, Native Americans out there. And there was an opportunity for us to do a basketball camp. And uh, so Coach Owen went to lead the basketball camp. And at the basketball camp, uh, they take a break and Grant will be preaching and sharing God's good news with those kids there. So uh, uh, he'll be back next week. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, you have to put up with me. So open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah 18. I've done doing a couple of revival messages. Uh, some of you have heard them before. Many of you have not. Last week we talked about that uh, John said that he specifically recorded certain events that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> now, let's see. Tommy, you going to put that up there? Yes? Okay. Uh, no, you're not. The first part you are, you're not, you don't know. First part, no. All right. Because we're using, I'm using my uh, uh, old uh, uh, new, new, uh, new King James Version. When we swap over, we'll be doing the ESV. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the will. And the vessel which he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, and so he made it again unto another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. And when the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now, what is true of Israel as a physical people God oftentimes applies to our life in a spiritual sense. We have not been promised a land. We have not been promised a kingdom. We have been promised a special place in heaven as the bride of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Had you rather have a kingdom, had you rather be citizens of a kingdom or be married to the king? Had you rather be citizens of the kingdom or married to the king? So Israel was promised a kingdom. Who's the king? Jesus. But the Bible teaches us that we, in fact, are the bride of Christ. So while uh, God has, is fulfilling and will fulfill his promise to Israel to have a kingdom, he also has fulfilled to us that special place of being his bride. So what applies 
to Israel about being molded like clay in the potter's hand applies to us in our life as well. And so it is first of all that we would see that God has made us physically. God has made us physically. God chose you to be born in this era, in this part of the world, in these circumstances. And not a living one of us are exactly the same in any shape, form, or fashion. I'm really glad that I live in a time when we found out about genetics because it's kind of funny. It's not really, but it is. I mean, like when Linda and I got married, she brought to the marriage a sack of her genetic life background. I brought a sack of genetic background. And it's like God reached in my sack and got these handful of genes, and he reached over in Linda's sack and got these handful of genes, and he smeared them together, and that was John. And then he did it again, and he got some more, and he got some more, and he smeared them together, and that was Robert. And he did it again, and that was Carol. And while they're all three our children, none of them are alike. When they're really nice, they take after me. <laughs> but I mean, you know, they're not either one like Linda or like me. They're like a combination of us, and they're like a combination of us in different ways. You know, where John might be like his mother in one area, he's like me in another area, and when he comes to the other one, like me, they're just different. They're different individuals. And, and one of them, we just wonder where she came from all No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but that's, it's real funny. But not only is it genetically different, God raised us in a different time period. He could have taken that same genetic material and he could put us in an entirely different century, and we turn out to be different, by the uh, norms and by the uh, whatever goes on in that time, medicine or lack of it. And, you know, we all say, uh, God help the next generation. But then there was a time when that's what our grandparents were saying about us. You know, and so I guess that God's still going to be God regardless uh, in, in the time to come. And in the day we live in, there are a whole different set of circumstances that have shaped our lives. And so we had different parentage. We had different uh, sets of immediate circumstances that God put us under. And we've lived in all these ages throughout the centuries. But there's one thing in common. God made us. And he put us into an environment where he could shape us. And guess what? We've been shaped exactly the way he wants us shaped. And he's shaping us for a specific purpose. And for us to have the best that there is available for our lives, we would yield to his shaping and we would yield to his purpose. So let's look at some scriptures. First of all, we look at Psalm 139, 14 through 16. The scripture says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Do I understand that? Absolutely not. I wished that when our children were born, there had been an instruction manual given with them. Or that you could have just turned them over on the backside and it said, you know, like install batteries here, push this button, but they didn't come that way. And so it's kind of for us to kind of figure it out as we go. But the truth is, according to Psalm 139, it is going to be the way God has designed it if we respond to him in that appropriate way. It's going to turn out his way anyway, but for his best, for our best, we do it exactly that way. Look at me at Jeremiah 1 and 5. Now, I don't like to make political issues. But I'm telling you, I just can't understand for the life of me believers that can accept abortion in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Look what it says. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Who takes responsibility for forming a child in the womb? God does. Ain't nobody in here an accident. You don't have accidents. You do things wrong. Aren't you glad that God didn't hold you accountable for everything you did wrong? Whoa. And I wonder how many do things wrong they didn't get caught doing. But then every now and then, we disobey God and there's a consequence. But God takes credit every time for conception. Every time a child is conceived, God said, I did it. I take responsibility for it. And who knows what God's going to do when he raises up a little child. I have met people. I've been doing this now for 43 years. And I have watched people that came into this world uh, that I thought, oh, man, they don't have a chance and turn out to be some of the most wonderful people that I've ever known in my whole life. I have also seen folks that had it all. They had a great Christian mom and dad. They had good circumstances in their life as far as finance and health and all that kind of thing. And they turn out to be lousy. You know, it's amazing to me. Uh, but it, re, it, it has to do with the individual responding to the grace of God. But God didn't put anything here by accident, and God didn't make no junk. You understand? We're all here by His perfect design. Romans 8 and 29, we begin to look at how God shaped us spiritually for those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn 
among many brethren. God also began that work of changing you into a spiritual person. The Bible's pretty plain. You know, people bother me when they say, well, you know, I plan on getting right with God someday. Someday I'm going to make a decision for Christ. Someday I'm going I'm to get it right. And the problem is this. Jesus says, no man comes to me except the Father draws him. The Bible also says, today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? It means the day God's saying, come on. Because later in the book of Genesis, it says the Spirit of God will not always strive with men. You understand? So when, it, when is it okay and when are you supposed to respond to Christ? When you hear His voice. When you feel that nudge. When you feel that calling. When you feel God drawing you to Himself. It's God Almighty at work in your heart as the Spirit of God to bring you to Himself. And that's when you are supposed to respond. People tell me, well, when I quit smoking, I'm going to get right. When I quit drinking, when I... Stop doing this when I, you know. That's not the problem. You're not going to hell for drinking or smoking. You're going to hell for missing Jesus. <laughs> for not coming to Christ. You come to Christ, He starts changing our lives in the lack or good or bad or whatever. You understand? But it doesn't change anything until spiritual things change and the Spirit of God begins to move. Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. He prepared us not only physically and not only spiritually, but He also has prepared us to begin to serve Him and be used by him. Now, the potter was making a vessel. And there was a wheel and it looked like a tri broken tricycle. <laughs> the potter sat on this little, little bench and had little pedals in front of him. And instead of the wheel going this way, the wheel went this way. And he would find a lump of clay and he would bring the clay, dig it out of a, a place where the clay was. Uh, in, the, in the ground was the kind of clay that could be modeled. And he would bring it and he would put it in, uh, in, a, in water and begin to soften it. And there was a process they went through. And then they began to knead it and make it into a, a pliable ball of clay or dough. Put it on the wheel. And the potter didn't have a set of blueprints. He just knew in his mind what he was going to make. And he started the wheel around and he began to apply it with his hands in our case it's the circumstance and God moving in them he begins to design and he begins to create the vessel that he has in mind it's a vessel physically it's a vessel for uh, spiritually and it's a vessel for service and so he starts that process of making us. And God had told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you go down. I want to show you an object lesson down to Potter's house. You go down there. I'll show you something. 
And so the potter was just working away. And the Bible says that the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that there was something in the clay that did not respond to the potter's hand. It could have been a little rock had been picked up in the clay. It could be that the clay wasn't pure clay, that there could have just been some soft dirt that got mixed in with the clay. It could be a little stick or a little blade of grass or something that the potter's eye missed at first. But as he began to, to shape the vessel, as he began to narrow the walls, thin the walls, he began to make the vessel what it was supposed to be. Something ripped in his hand. Something tore in his hand. And of course it was going around and when his hand hit the rock or hit the, the stick or whatever, the soft dirt, it broke. The vessel was marred. It tore in a certain way. And it was ruined in the hand of the potter. God tells us about that in Romans chapter 6. We're not to present our members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death, to, brought from death to life, for your members to God as instruments in righteousness. What does it mean? We yield ourselves to Him. We yield ourselves to Him. Years and years ago when I was in the 10th grade, I know it's hard to believe, I weighed about 150 pounds. And I really, 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 really wanted to play football. And I didn't make the starting team. At best, I was a substitute if we got really ahead or really behind. <laughs> when, when the situation was hopeless for the other guys or for us, they let me play. But as the season went on, I got a little more playing time, and I figured out that when somebody got hurt or the coach got mad, he would just turn around and grab the first person he saw. And so I got where I'd stay just as close as I could to the coach. Wherever he went, I went. Because sooner or later, somebody was going to get hurt or somebody was, the coach was going to get mad at somebody, and he'd look around and say, Latimer, go in. And I pestered that man. I worried him to death because the other times he'd step on me. Get out of the way. Go sit down. Move back. As soon as I, he got through looking at me, I'd sneak back there again because I was doing my best to be yielded, to be available, to be ready so when the coach called, I'd be there. You understand? That's kind of what it means. Where are you giving your talents, your energy, your interest, your time, your money? Where are you presenting yourself for God to use you? Are you presenting yourself to be used by God? Or are you presenting yourself to be used by sin? In other words, what's important to you? Because we have this responsibility to yield to Him, to be available to Him, to allow Him to use us. But oftentimes, we're unresponsive in the potter's hand. 
What's in your life that is keeping you from being yielded to the Lord? Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Assume, and that would be hard to do, that I'm a marathon runner. I told you that'd be difficult for you to assume that. But that I showed up at a race and the night before I'd been out drinking and partying all night and uh, I had a Coca-Cola in one hand, a candy bar in the other hand. I had on a backpack. I had on clodhopper shoes and football pads and a helmet and I'm fixing to run a race. And somebody would take me off to the hospital because I was doing absolutely everything I could do to lose a race. And that's exactly the way we do. We're going to show up and serve Jesus. We've made no spiritual preparation whatsoever. We're not reading our Bibles. We're not praying. In fact, we're hanging out with the devil and his crowd. And we're just so darn busy. We're involved in everything that you can be involved in. We spend our money in every situation we can spend our money in. And there's absolutely nothing left over for God. It's both sin and weight. The Bible talks about that seed that was planted among the weeds. And it said these weeds grew up and choked the good seed so that it became fruitless. There are many here who say you want to serve the Lord. We really want to be available to God. God, use me. And God throw down a calendar and says, okay, show me a day that I can use you. Show me some time that I can use you. Show me a week that you can go on a mission trip. Show me a night that's okay for prayer meeting. Give me your Sunday so that you can teach Sunday school or youth. Sing in the choir. And you say, oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy simply says I have different priorities. When I say I'm too busy, I'm saying I have other priorities other than Christ. And we don't discipline ourselves in our personal lives. And therefore, there's no spiritual depth. There's no spiritual maturity. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to serve you, Lord. But there's no depth for God to use us. And so the vessel becomes marred, unresponsive, dead in the hand of the potter. The Bible says that the vessel was remade. John, 1 John chapter 1 and 9 says if we confess our sins, He's faithful, He's just, and forgive our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. All you got to say this morning is, hey, 
and I blew this. I've said one thing and lived another, another way. You know what the word repent means? It, it, it amazes me about Bible words because somehow or another we've got Bible words identified as a foreign language. And we read them and we say, well, that's a Bible word. I don't know what it means. But the word repent literally means U-turn. I'm going this way, and God gets a hold of my spirit. He gets a hold of my mind. He gets a hold of my heart. And I quit going this way, and I start going this way. That's what repent means. Repent doesn't mean cry. It doesn't mean confess, although that may be a part of it. But you can, you can cry and confess and not change. Isn't that true? The word repent means you turn. You're going one way, which is against God, and every step you take is further, and God gets a hold of your heart one day. He gets a hold of your spirit. He gets a hold of your mind, and you do an about face, and you start moving with him and toward him and do those things that God asks us to do. In the book of Joel, verses chapter 2 and verse 25, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but some of you that got color hair like me, how many of you would say, oh my God, I wished I'd have done it sooner. I wished I'd have got right with God sooner. Well, cheer up. Cheer up. Cheer up. He says, I'll give you back those years. Oh, there's some baggage. There's some problems. But you can have, I knew a guy when I was growing up in Union City. The old guy's name was Walter Kenton. And you talking about a low-down rascal. To add to it, he was used car salesman. Sorry, Billy. <laughs> and it's 70 years old. 70. The guy became a believer in Jesus Christ. And he'd read in the newspaper where some little country church around Union City was having a revival. And he'd go out there on the first night and he'd come forward and he'd tell the preacher and the evangelist, he said, I want to help you win some folks to Christ this, this week. Uh, okay, like who is this crazy man and where did he come from? And so he said, preacher, if you'll just give me a list of people, I'll go see them. I'll give you the week, I'll go see them. And the preacher didn't know what to do, so he gave him the worst scandals that he knew. He gave him a list of the worst, absolutely worst scandals that he knew. And night after night after night after night of that revival, old Walter Kennan would show up with three or four people he'd had the privilege of seeing come to know Christ that week. He was a one-man revival. I mean, wherever it happened. Died about 82. Between 70 and 82, he did more for Jesus than most folks will do in a lifetime. A lifetime. God gave him back those years. Isaiah 35 and 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. How many would have to admit this morning your life is just a dry, barren, spiritually void place? God will give it back to you. You yield to him. God will give it back to you. Look at Isaiah 43 and 19. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in 
the desert. Isaiah 61, 3. Grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Instead of ashes, the oil of gladness. Instead of mourning, the garment of praise and of a faint spirit. If not, I'm going to mention that in just a minute. Here's the deal. God has promised whatever sin's taken, whatever disobedience is taken, whatever just not caring has taken, apathy has taken from you. You give yourself back to Jesus with your whole heart and God will turn and make of you a beautiful life of ministry. Now Tommy will look at it. What are you going to present him? Maybe you don't have any gold. Then give the silver. Maybe you don't have any silver. Then give the wood. Maybe you had not got any wood left either then give the clay. Whatever you are at this moment, wherever you are in your life, you put it back in the hand of the potter and God will begin to do with you what he intends to do with you. You may have been marred because of rebellion and because of apathy and because of busyness. But you can make a decision to turn and put your life in the hand of the Lord. And God can do something marvelous with you. When I was a young boy, this little teapot set up on a shelf in my mother's kitchen. This thing's probably worth some money today. Actually, for those of you old enough to remember, there was a guy came around to the house selling tea. Today he'd probably get shot or mugged or whatever, but he went door to door selling tea. And if you brought enough tea, jewel tea, you would get a teapot and cups and so forth to go with it. And this was a pretty little teapot, but it sat forever up on a shelf, a corner shelf in my mother's kitchen. And mother would be making tea in an old pan that the handle had cracked off of and just had a, a screw sticking out. She had to use a potholder, and she'd put the water in it, boil it, put the tea in it. And one day I asked her, I said, Mother, why are you using that old ugly pot to make tea in when you have this beautiful teapot? Look at this thing. Put your little tea in there. You pour your hot water in there, and you steep your tea. It's a cool little deal, isn't it? There's only one problem. You can't see it from there, but down at the bottom... The handle's cracked. The handle's broken. Right down there, it's broken. And if you filled it with water, hot water, and you grabbed a hold of the handle, and you began to try to pour tea, the handle would break off, the teapot would crash to the floor, and everything would be ruined. I know so many Christians like this teapot. They look good. They appear to be dedicated Christians, committed, spiritual, dedicated folk. But the question is, what on earth do they do for Jesus Christ? How do they serve Him 
at all. Now I'm going to embarrass Linda some more. At my house, we have this. Now, Lindsay, it'll take y'all a little while to get one of these. That's, year, that's years in the making. It's years in the making. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> and this biscuit's been cooked on that pan. Pie shell's been cooked on that pan. Casseroles have overrun in that pan. Cinnamon toast is burned on that pan. Uh, you, you wash it, but after a while, you just wipe it out. Now then it's so bad, and now then it's so bad, Linda puts tinfoil on it <laughs> before she starts to use it at all. But guess what? Every living day at our house, every living day at our house, this thing is grabbed up. Did you look for it this morning? <laughs> every living day. <laughs> Every living day, this thing's used at our house. And how often was this used when I was a boy growing up? So I can ask you a question. You want to be a teapot Christian or a biscuit pan Christian? Huh? You're probably not going to be a teapot anyhow. We, there, there's... None of us turn out that pretty. <laughs> we wished. But more than likely, this is it. There's another story in the book of Proverbs that's very interesting. There's a, there's a verse, and Tommy doesn't have it, so there's a verse that says, flattering lips and an evil heart are like glaze on pottery. It took me a little while to get around that. In fact, I had to go to International Standard Bible uh, to, to get some interpretation. But a deceitful uh, potter, a, a untrustworthy potter would find a crack in his pottery and instead of remaking it, you know what he'd do? He'd get some leftover silver dross, some, some, some of that stuff that's thrown out on the ground that wasn't pure silver. And he could patch that crack from the inside. There was a way to do it, to patch that crack from the inside and sand off the outside. Patch on the inside and sand off the outside till that crack would disappear. In other words, the vessel was masked. The ruined vessel, the, the broken vessel was masked. It was covered up and it was sold at retail as first quality goods. And when the buyer got home, what did he find out? It was broken. Now our potter, our potter, Jesus is too honest he won't do that, and he won't let us do that. You can't cover up the crack. You can't glaze over it. 
What do you have to do? Give it up. You have to yield to him. You have to, it has to be surrendered. As that vessel was broken, the potter stopped the wheel and he pinched out that rock or that stick or that little chunk of dirt. He softened the dough again and he started all over again, making it another vessel. You understand? He didn't hide the crack. He didn't do some kind of a cover-up or some kind of a synthetic patch job. It was real. It was the real, genuine deal. When we come before our Lord Christ, honestly, humbly bow before Him and yield ourselves to Him to be used as He sees as he sees fit. Come on, brother. Let's worship a minute. We're going we're gonna to worship. You want to come pray with me? Uh, I'll be here. Uh, as God, you might just need to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. And this morning for the first time, you say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of this old bruised, beaten life I'm living. I'm tired of being just worn out, exhausted all the time from trying to do it my way. It's time to give my life fresh. To Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to rededicate your life. Maybe a church like this is to be your church home. I don't know what it is. But I'm going to be down here and I'll pray with you as God brings you and uh, we want to share together as the Holy Spirit leads. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these few minutes. I pray, God, that we choose today to be used of you, to serve you, We'd not be broken teapots. We'd not mask and hide and cover up. But we would yield afresh to you today. And God, you'd use us, old biscuit pan Christians. Every single day, you could use us and find a place for us to serve you. And we ask it in Jesus' name.